Now, we are in the book of Haggai. So, for those of you who um, know your Bibles, uh, you'll know this is the third to last book of the Old Testament, snuck away um, there, just a very short book, only two chapters. Um, and we're midway through a series looking uh, at this short uh, book, which was written about two and a half thousand uh, years ago. And really, the, the, the drumbeat of this book is that when we are passionate about the glory of God, we prioritize the things that God is passionate about. And the call in this book, written some two and a half thousand years ago, is will God's people be faithful to the promises of God in their generation? And man, is that relevant to us today? And the call upon us today is will we be faithful to the promises and to God himself in these days as God's people? Will we be those who seek to put him above everything else in our lives? This book is a call to seek the glory of God above everything else. And the call for us today is the same call that it was to the people two and a half thousand years ago. Will we be faithful to the promises of God? And so today we're going to be reading um, from chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. And to understand chapters, uh, chapter 2, 10 to 19, we really have to know what all that comes before it in the whole of the Old Testament. So I'm going to do my best to unpack the whole of the Old Testament in 20 minutes. No, not really. Now, if, you've never, if you've never read the Bible before, if you're new to faith or you're not a Christian, this passage is quite challenging to, to understand. I, as I was wrestling it through this week, I was like, this is a challenging passage to get hold of. And I've read my Old Testament quite a few times. So I will do my best this morning uh, to help us navigate through what Haggai is saying in the context of the Old Testament. It's very significant that Haggai is writing almost the last words of the Old Testament. The, the page is about to turn. We're about to get 500 years of silence before the New Testament. It's very significant what Haggai is writing here that, that, kind of, that kind of draws the Old Testament to a closure and looks ahead towards the New Testament. So we're going to read it. Uh, Haggai 2, verse 10 to 19. It should come up on the screen. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. But one of the things that repeats in these two chapters of Haggai is consider. Consider your ways. Consider from this day onwards. Take stock of your life and consider. Consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 20 measures, 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. There is something significant about this day, which we'll come back to a bit later. 
Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. So, we've got to lay a little bit of groundwork here to understand what's going on. This book is written in a different culture, a different context, and in a different covenantal relationship between God and his people, because we're still in the Old Testament. And so, where we're at in the story of God is that, is that God has called for himself a people who will be distinct and separate from, those, um, from others around them, and he, and he leads them into a land of promise, the promised land. And for a while, things seem to be going well. But then God's people start to turn away from him. They start to worship idols. They start to be indifferent to the purposes of God. They start to tolerate injustice. And God sends a series of prophets over many, many years to say, if you don't turn and repent, then judgment is coming and you will be taken out of the land that I have given you. And sure enough, God's people don't listen. And so in 587 B.C., what happens is God's people are taken by the Babylonians out of the promised land and into exile for a 70-year period. And they are then living under the rule and the reign of Babylon. The blessing of the promised land is, is gone for them at that time. And they are living under oppression, effectively, and under Babylon. But after 70 years, the Babylonian Empire collapses and the Persians rise up. And there's a decree by the king of Persia called King Cyrus. And he says to the Israelites, I'm giving you a decree that you can return to your land and rebuild your city and rebuild your temple and rebuild your lives. And roughly 50,000 of these Israelites, many of whom have been born in captivity, uproot, take their families, and they make the journey back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple, the place of God's dwelling. And it starts off very well. If you read the book of Ezra, they rebuild the altar. They start laying the foundations of the temple, albeit a lot smaller than the previous one. But then they come against opposition, and they lack focus, and they become lethargic. And so for 16 years, they basically do nothing on the house of God. They basically prioritize their own things, worry about themselves, and they forget about the building of the temple of God. And it's into this context that Haggai speaks. Sixteen years after they've returned, Haggai the prophet comes and says, come on people, you're supposed to prioritize the things that God is passionate about, not paneling your own houses, not focusing on yourself. And it's a call to rebuild the temple of God. And the people respond. They start building. They start digging and, and shoveling and laying the foundations and starting again the rebuilding of the temple. And they get going. They very quickly become discouraged because they realize it's like this big compared to the previous one, which was this big. And it's a shadow of its former self. And they get very discouraged, especially the older men and the older. And you see the glory of that temple. And it was a patch of that. It was nothing like it. And they get discouraged. And Haggai says, yes, but there's a greater glory coming. Don't you see there's a greater glory that's coming. And so the people are building, but what's the big deal about the temple? Why is Haggai making such a big deal about a building? Well, in this time of God's people, the temple was the dwelling place of God, the place where God dwelt on earth. 
You read about it as the temple is dedicated, the glory of God descends. It's the place of the dwelling place of God. And it's the place where the Old Testament law of sacrifice and rituals are enacted by the priests so that a people who are unclean and separated from God can be made clean through sacrifice of animals. And the temple is a big deal because it's the place of the dwelling place of God and it's the place where sacrifice is taken to make the people clean before God despite their uncleanness. So the temple is a big, big thing. And Haggai calls them to to start building the temple and they respond. And Haggai 2.10, we pick it up with three months into the rebuilding project. And on one level you could say, what else is there to say? The people have done what they've been asked of them. They've they've responded, they're building. What is the big deal? But clearly things are not all as they seem as we turn into verses 10 to 19. Evidently, things are not quite going according to plan in the rebuilding of the temple. And he starts uh, on, on, on the 24th day of the ninth month, which is probably the 18th of December, 520 BC. That's the date, probably. It's very significant because they would have planted their crops, but the harvest would not yet have come. Okay, so they're waiting to see, is the harvest going to come? They would have sowed. It's that time of waiting and watching. It's a very significant time in the calendar. And Haggai turns to the priest and says, because they're experts in the law, and says, if something's holy and it comes into contact with something else, does that holiness transfer to that very object, that bread? Holy meat, does it transfer to to the bread? Well, no, it doesn't. But if something is unclean, if someone touches a dead body, you've got to read Numbers 19 to understand that, and then they touch it, and then they touch something else, does that object become unclean? Well, yes, because uncleanliness spreads in a way that holiness doesn't. And uncleanliness spreads uh, through from one object to another object. Read about it more in Numbers chapter 19. And Haggai uses this analogy of the law, and he turns and he says, so it is with you, God's people, He says, you are busy building with the temple, with your hands, and you think that by contacting with the temple, by laying brick upon brick, it makes you holy, but actually what you're offering there is unclean. You're building, you're busy working hard, but actually what you're offering is actually not making the temple, the temple is not making you holy, you are making the temple unclean by your very work. Why is that? It's an issue of the heart. Whilst they're busy with their hands working, there is sin that is lurking within their hearts. And you see, God wants holy hearts, not sacrificial service. They thought it's all about working with their hands, and God says, I'm looking at the heart. I want you to see the heart is the issue in here. They've begun to obey with their hands, but they're not obeying with their hearts. And the reality is uncleanliness actually comes from the heart, not from the hands. And these are a people who are unclean because of their hearts, and they have no way of making themselves truly clean. Unclean people cannot make themselves clean no matter how hard they try. And isn't that just a summary of the whole of the Old Testament? That God's people had been given a law that was enacted in the temple, and that law was good. It pointed out the problem of sin, but it could never change their hearts to make them truly clean. It never dealt with the issue of the hearts. But the reality is the law 
and be the true fulfillment of the law and would deal with the issue of the heart and would cause the heart to be regenerated in a way that mere obedience with hands or with the sacrifice of animals never, ever could. Haggai knew that a better sacrifice, a greater glory, a greater temple was needed to deal with the issue of the heart that is going on here. And what Haggai does then as we turn into verse 15, he says he wants to remind them of, of what happens when they're, when they're disobedient to God versus when they respond to the call of God. And he says in verse 15, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone, i.e. before they started rebuilding, how did they get on? Well, badly. That's the message of verses 15 and 16. They got on badly. The harvest did not produce. They went to, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50, there were but 20. You read about it also in Haggai chapter 1. They were under judgment because of their disobedience. But something seismic happens in verses 18 and verses 19. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from this day, mark this day in your diaries, mark this day in your calendar, consider something seismic is shifting in the spiritual on this day. And God says, from this moment, I will bless you. No longer will your crops fail. No longer will you be under judgment. Your crops will produce abundant harvest and you'll be under ab abundant blessing from this day onwards. Why? What's going on? The temple has been refounded, but most importantly, the foundation stone has been relaid. You see, the foundation stone changes everything. If you want a one-liner for today, the foundation stone changes everything. You see, they had got a, they, the, the foundation stone, which had been left neglected for 16 years, they either relayed it or they rededicated it. It doesn't really matter particularly. But what happens on that day is they probably hold some kind of ceremony that says, we are rededicating the foundation stone of this temple. And God says, from this day, everything shifts because the foundation stone changes everything. It's a seismic shift in their day. And isn't it fascinating? The Old Testament is closing. The curtain is drawing on the Old Testament. And some of the last words that are spoken is, there's a problem of uncleanliness and of the heart which can't be dealt with merely the thing that causes blessing to come, not your own actions. And Haggai is closing the curtain on the Old Testament and he's pointing the people forward. There's a better thing coming. There's a greater glory coming. There's a better sacrifice coming. There's a true temple coming. There's a better foundation stone that's round the corner that I'm pointing you towards. The Old Testament is drawing to a close. You cannot make yourselves clean, people. Something greater is coming that's going to deal with the issue once and for all. And friends, if you know your Bibles, I hope you can see where we're going here. God's people wait after the book of Haggai, we get nearly 500 years of silence. And God doesn't say anything to his people. They're used to him speaking. And then suddenly, silence. 
500 years and nothing. But what we find as we turn the chapter of the New Testament is a people who are expectant. They're expecting something significant to shift. They're expectant. How is this problem of the Old Testament going to be dealt with once and for all? How is this greater glory going to come? How is uncleanliness going to be dealt with once and for all? And fast forward, friends, 500 years, and the silence is broken with a deafening roar. Enter Jesus Christ. Heaven invading earth. God becomes flesh in human form. God dwelling with his people, not through a physical temple, but himself, who is the true fulfillment and the better temple and the true meaning of the temple. Enter Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of old that they have been waiting for for 500 years. The one whose sacrifice will once and for all time deal with the issue of uncleanliness of the heart. Jesus Christ, the true and better foundation stone from which we are taken from judgment into blessing. Enter Jesus Christ. Consider everything is changing because Jesus Christ, God becomes flesh. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the words of Haggai. He is the true and better temple. He's the true and better cornerstone. He's the true and better sacrifice that once and for all time dealt with the issue of the heart and once and for all time paid the price for sin that we could never pay. Thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Listen to Jesus' words in Mark 12, which is taken from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus Christ was despised and rejected. Much like the Israelites had neglected the foundation stone for 16 years, Jesus was rejected a man of sorrows, a man who was crushed for our rebellion, a man who became the curse of sin on our behalf, a man who paid the price once and for all by dying on a cross at that first Easter and gloriously rising from the dead. And he is the true foundation stone from which everything else is built. He is the fulfillment of these words Mark this day from the first Easter in AD 33 when Jesus dies and rises again, everything shifts. For those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, you who were dead in your sin have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. Amen. That you who were unclean and unable to make yourselves clean by merely trying very hard with your hands have been declared clean and righteous and holy and a royal priest. The judgment and wrath of God have now been blessed, Ephesians 1 says, with every spiritual blessing. And you know, this turnaround is not because of our own hard work. It's not because we worked hard with our hands, it's because Jesus regenerated our hearts. And do you know what? It's so easy to get into try-hard Christianity to think if I just do enough work, then maybe God will like me. And he says, I want to do a work on your hearts. And by the way, when you accept me as your Lord and Savior, everything changes on that moment because you come and you build your life on the true and better foundation stone that is Jesus Christ. It's because the true cornerstone was rejected 
that we are not rejected. And there are some of you here today, and you have never responded to Jesus. And you spent your life, and you know there's an issue in your heart. You feel like, oh, there's things that aren't quite right, and I've tried to fix them with my own hands or my own actions. And the invitation this morning is to put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, to know your uncleanliness dealt with and washed away, to come under the blessing of God Almighty through the Son, Jesus Christ. And you can do that this morning. If you are here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can put your faith and your trust in his death and in his resurrection. And we'd love to encourage you to do that at the end when we share in communion. We can build our life on many things, but friends, the only sure and certain foundation is building our life on the foundation stone of Christ Jesus. And you know, it would be very tempting to end there but Haggai doesn't. See, Haggai too is a call to holiness as well. People thought that religious activity made them clean. And God says, I want to do some heart surgery on you. You see, it wasn't enough just to build a temple as a call to holiness. And friends, the New Testament is the exact replica of that. But instead of having to try really hard, we've now received the perfect sacrifice through Jesus and we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out lives that are holy. But there is a call to holiness in the New Testament. Romans 12 says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 1 Peter 1 says, As he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. You see, the invitation of Jesus is not merely forgiveness and a free ticket to heaven. It's an invitation to lay down your life to the king in blessed and wonderful service to him. It's an invitation to die to yourself daily. It's an invitation to be holy as he is holy because he's declared you holy. It's an invitation to gospel-motivated holiness. And you see, gospel-motivated holiness isn't about how hard we can work with our hands to try and please God. It isn't motivated by guilt. Gospel-motivated holiness is driven from the gospel of Jesus Christ and from his finished work on the cross. That fact that he declares you not guilty and clean and righteous before him. You see, gospel-motivated holiness that is driven from that will always bear fruit that's healthy. And I don't know about you, but every day I have to contend against the sinful desires of my flesh. Every day I have to contend to keep Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. And what I long for and what I need is a gospel-motivated holiness that causes me to treasure Christ above all else, that causes me to fight the things and the sin that so easily entangles You see, gospel-motivated holiness will fight anything that seeks to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of our lives. Gospel-motivated holiness will fight anything that dims Savior. How? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the third person of God. God with us through the Holy Spirit, living in us, calling us towards righteousness and remembering the truth of who God is. It's not about our hard work and hands. It's about the regeneration of our hearts through Christ Jesus and now empowered by the Holy Spirit. The foundation stone changes 
everything. The foundation stone of Christ is the place of, of being brought out of death and into life. The foundation stone is the place of being brought out of judgment and into blessing. The foundation stone of Christ is the place of being brought out of uncleanliness and into righteousness before a holy God. He is the cornerstone and the foundation stone that has changed everything. And so we move forward with gospel-motivated holiness off the back of what he has done and in the light of what he has done and in the good of what Jesus Christ has done. Man-centered holiness will crush you and rob you of life. Gospel-centered holiness will bring life and liberty and freedom in your walk with God. Can I just ask you if you're, if you're able um, just to stand? We are going to come into a time of communion. Can I invite the band just to come back up as well, if that's okay? I just want to encourage us to uh, respond in this moment. And we're going to share communion in a, in a moment. And communion is this meal that Jesus left us to remember his death and his resurrection, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And as we take communion, we're remembering the finished work of the cross, the place of blessing, the place where we are declared righteous in his eyes. And the Bible also says that we're to consider our ways as we come to the communion table. If you are here this morning and you are in Christ, you have put your faith in him, before we come to the communion table, we're called to consider our ways and say, God, search me. And if finding me any ways that are, are unclean or are, are not consecrated or I've not laid down before you, I want to lay them down before you this morning. And the Bible says, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive. So we don't have to come and sit in sackcloth for a few days before we can come. We, we come quickly and we repent and we gladly share in the bread and the wine. But we're called to examine ourselves. And I feel this morning that um, for those of us who um, are Christians, those of us who put their faith and their trust in Jesus first, that there are some here and you need to be set free from thinking that you have to try really hard to please God. This is not a try-hard religion. This is not try-hard Christianity. This is living in the good of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And there are also, there are also us who, who need to look at, look at our own lives and say, Jesus, are there anything, is there anything in my life which is seeking to replace you as the supreme treasure of my life? And we just want to come before him and say, God, I, I want to repent of that. I want to turn away from that, and then I want to share in this meal willingly and freely and I also recognize that there will be those here this morning and you don't know Jesus and there is an invitation this morning to you to come and put your trust in the true and better foundation stone Jesus Christ to come and say do you know what I need to respond this morning to that word I need to put my faith in him I need to accept that he died and that he rose again so that I can be reconciled to God. 
and I want to lay down that way of living and I want to put my trust not in my own act, that is Jesus Christ. I just want to pray, God, that you would come and just uh, do what only you can do, which is to bring life and freedom in this place. Not man's words, but your spirit coming and bringing life to us. That as we reflect over the communion table at your amazing, gruesome, painful death on a cross and your glorious resurrection from the dead, that we would remember that you are the true and better foundation stone. And I pray, God, that you would enable us to to fight anything that seeks to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of our lives. I just want to invite you, just um, when you're ready, just to take communion. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, then I'd, I want to ask that you, would, that you wouldn't take communion, but you can this morning respond to Jesus and put your faith and your trust in him. Talk to someone that you came with, come to see us at the front, and then we'd love to pray with you and after that share communion with you. So let's just, there's two tables in the middle. Let's just start to go to those tables. Let's start to take the bread and the wine. Consider ourselves before our Father who loves us and is so for us. I'd just maybe like to open your hands and hearts before God right now. Just being temple that we are. We're still a living temple even when we go. Jesus is still our foundation stone as we go. We still carry the presence of God as we go. But as we go into the world where there is an enemy who loves to rob and destroy and accuse and lie that we would go full of the peace of God full of the presence of God and full of his power Thessalonians says this now now in light of this foundation stone it doesn't actually say that bit but now in light of this good news of Christ. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you. He who calls you is faithful and will surely do it. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And church, as we go, that we are stood on a firm foundation that is immovable and unshakable. It was the wise man who built his life on that kind of stone. As we go, we go as messengers of hope. This, we hold out this gospel of peace and reconciliation to those who are dying and hurting without hope because they do not have this foundation of Christ in their life. And so we go from this place. I bless you. And I, I just want to send us again from this place full of God's presence, not to live pious lives, but to live lives that are marked out, set apart for the purposes of God, that we would be salt and light in every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in this coming week, for his glory, for his glory, and for the joy of many in this place. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. I pray his face would shine upon you. I pray he'd be kind to you this week, as he has promised he is, 
and will be. So I bless you, church. Amen. Thank you, guys. Can we just thank the team again? They've served us so well this morning. Thank you, guys. And please remember, sign up. There's still a few slots left for um, 24-7 prayer. Go for it. Let's have a great week.